For more than 125 years, the Tucson Metro Chamber has been the voice of business. This year, the Chamber is focused on showcasing candidates that not only understand the needs of business, but will also work to introduce and support local policies that address and solve challenges businesses face. The Chamber's Candidate Evaluation Committee interviewed candidates running for Tucson Mayor and City Council on their thoughts and perspectives on issues important to the Chamber membership and creating a pro-business environment. Our Candidate Evaluation Committee, made up of business owners, executives, major employers, and community partners, crafted five questions focusing on key business issues. We invite you to visit our candidate evaluation page on our website at tucsonchamber.org, review the scorecard, listen to the interviews, read the questionnaires submitted by many of the candidates, and share with your colleagues and your neighbors who you think will support a pro-business environment in Tucson. On this episode, our Candidate Evaluation Committee interviews Councilmember Nikki Lee, a Democrat running for re-election as Councilmember in Ward 4. Please tell us your name and the office you're running for. Yes, so Nikki Lee, running for City Council in Ward 4. Great. For, for re-election. Re yes. <laughs> Briefly describe your educational and professional backgrounds and how they have prepared you to serve. So I got stationed here in Tucson 20 years ago this year by way of Davis Monthan Air Force Base. I went into the military at 17. I grew up in a small area where there wasn't a lot of opportunity. I think I probably would have worked in a gas station if I stayed back home. There was not, not much access to, to education or things there. So I went into the military at a young age, went into the IT profession, STEM profession, um, really loved service to the community or to the country went to um, South Korea and then got stationed here as my, my last assignment in the military. After I got out, I pursued my education because didn't come from a family that could pay for it. So that was part of why I went into the military and um, got my undergraduate degree in business administration with a concentration on entrepreneurship and small business management. And my master's degree is an MBA, specifically in IT management, kind of the intersection of business and technology is an area that I really love and gravitate to. So um, after the military, I spent, well, from the military to today, I spent a little over 20 years in the defense industry between military service and working at Raytheon and other defense contractors in Fort Huachuca. And then more recently, as in December of last year, I switched from the technology side of the world more to the people side of the world. And so now I get to work on the humans that operate the, the technology, which I really love. Describe your vision for the city of Tucson and the office you're running for. You know, when I was preparing the, the questionnaire, I don't think my vision is super sexy per se. It's really about doing the things that we are supposed to do for our charter and as a local government and doing it well. And that isn't always shiny or exciting when you're looking at how federal politics are in the theater and the drama. But to me, it's about just making sure that we're efficient and effective with the things that we're supposed to do that are in scope for us. So for me, that looks like having a good culture in the organization so people want to stay. We have a retention issue at the city of Tucson right now. 
we've been doing pretty good at hiring, but then we have a huge percentage of people walking out the back door at the same time. And those are the people that we've invested in training and learning and development. And they're, they're leaving at a pace that we really have to address. So for me, it looks like culture, it looks like efficiency, it looks like fostering innovation so that we can really focus on the core services and do it well. Everything above and beyond that to me is, is sprinkles on the ice cream cone, but we, we have to focus on the core services. So for me, it's all about high quality core service delivery first and foremost. Public safety and issues around crime, homelessness, and the fentanyl crisis are major concerns that we hear frequently from chamber members. Do you think that the city is currently doing enough or does the city need to be more involved in addressing these issues? And if the city is not doing enough, what more should the city specifically be doing? Uh, that was that was a really interesting question because it was yes or no. So if I said we're doing enough, I know that's not the truth because there are people still experiencing homelessness in, in our community. And at the same time, I know that we are working really hard to address within the scope of the city what we can do. It's it's so complicated, right? Because we've got the health department that's responsible for mental health, addiction services. We're responsible for having good response times when, when neighbors or businesses do call and report challenges. And, you know, homelessness specifically isn't listed in the charter, but we're obviously addressing it because it's really, really important and it's the right thing for us to do. And the strategy we have now with tiers of encampments, one, two, and three, I think has really given us a path in terms of addressing and disrupting the most severe encampments and really trying to, to set a position that this isn't a fun place to come and be homeless, right? We, we want you to get services, we want you to get help, and also this sort of activity that is criminal in nature is not something that we're going to tolerate. So those conversations continue. You know, how do we, we pick up somebody? Well, let me just give you an example. Last week, my, my own staff member was near the university and she was helping out her mom on her day off. And they were outside cleaning up the yard and a person who was clearly having some sort of disturbance himself was going down the road and the homes with a baseball bat breaking in windows on cars and homes and broke my my staff member's window in her car and there was a major issue with response times to get somebody to show up it was in the gray area is this on the university responsibility is this tpd who's coming meanwhile this person is having a crisis and is doing damage to property and potentially a person because if i was at home and someone was trying to break out my windows with a bat that could be a bit of a, a threat to me. And so I think we always need to be looking at how we can do more. I know I'm always very open to looking at the things that we can do and who we can partner with, not only to help the businesses and the individuals living here in the city and creating a safe space for everyone, but really helping the people that are experiencing homelessness and the untreated mental health and, and addiction. And how do we work with the state and the federal government to have the infrastructure to be able to effectively get these folks help it's so complicated. It's the one thing, well, there's a couple things that keep me up at night, but that's definitely one of them. In your opinion, how does the Planning and Development Services Department play a role in economic development in Tucson's ability to attract and retain businesses and employers? What are you hearing about the state of PDSD right now? Great question. Wonderful topic. 
fortunately, several members from this organization have been able to help me get really educated on the process, on the experience of the business community as it relates to trying to get permits and working with planning and development services. Um, earlier on, several years ago, when Councilmember Durham was, was still in office, so this is several years ago, we worked together to start pulling together stakeholders and deconstructing what was going on in the departments. Um, I understand that really three kind of ways I've compartmentalized what I hear is the problem. One is a customer service issue uh, and communication issue. So I've heard that folks will go on um, and the process is just really um, cumbersome, but also you, you provide information and you don't hear anything back, or you come across an error on, on the website and nobody answers the phone, nobody gets back to you. That's not a great experience. And then looking at that a level deeper, there's also communication issues from one department to the next. If we have, we have to get fire involved or we have to get water involved and throwing a process over the fence, it's not landing and being moved forward the way that it needs to be. There are also the other bucket is technology. Uh, from what I understand, the new planning and development services system works well for some folks based on what they're trying to do with the system and not well for others. So I feel like there's still work that needs to be done to evaluate the effectiveness of the system and make modifications. And then overall, just, just process. Um, how do we make things more simple, more streamlined, um, easier to navigate on the, on the customer end of it? So I know we fortunately were blessed to have a new planning and services to, uh, development director starting very soon if she hasn't already started. And I know that was the choice for everyone who attended the interviews and I'm glad that she said yes. So I'm really hopeful there. But in terms of economic development, it impacts everything. I mean, we have the H2K 2000 acre um, planned area development out there in Ward 4 and just going through those different processes and making sure that we have something that is ready for when people are looking at different sites, bringing in those opportunities, we have to be able to streamline these processes, be quick, be responsive to when we have those knocks at the door. So it, to me, it's, we, can't, we can't have solid economic development strategy without having planning and development services running and humming along. Thank you. There's a lot of refining we need to do. What do you perceive to be the three biggest challenges and issues facing the business community and if elected, how do you plan to keep a pulse on the issues that businesses are facing? My answers on there were purely just going off of me really putting myself in your shoes and thinking about what I know uh, and what I, what I read about. I think labor costs and material costs and just margins in general and how they're shrinking is affecting a lot of businesses a lot. Cost of labor especially and how we keep up with that. Um, while still maintaining profitability because we want businesses to be profitable. Otherwise, why are you going to be in business? Um, so that is what I perceive as, as a major, major issue. Uh, workforce development being another one, making sure that the businesses that are here have access to a workforce that is prepared to do the jobs. You know, first and foremost, putting on our own oxygen masks here, but then as we're looking at bringing in other businesses or growing existing businesses, making sure that we can, we can have workforce and people um, to do that. And then there, there are just a slew of other things. I think uh, thinking about water and hearing some concerns from, from different businesses that have more water intensive operations is a concern that I have, have heard and completely understand the cost and availability of water. And then one of the challenges that I know a lot of 
businesses across the U.S. and government agencies is just looking at cybersecurity in general. Um, I know we've we've dealt with that on the city of Tucson and just making sure that we're prepared to deal with with an incident. Um, just random story. And I've talked to our IT department about this. We have a lot of small businesses in Tucson and not everyone has the resources to think about their cybersecurity posture. Same thing with nonprofits. And I received a, a random email from someone at SARSA with an invoice. And I just knew like, I don't have an invoice for SARSA. This is not legitimate. And I sent it over to our IT director and said, hey, Chris, I think, I think I'm getting fished here. And that email went to several other folks. So someone, in order to get into the city, in order to try to get into the city, went through a nonprofit agency to send a phishing email to the leaders in the city. And that could happen if they, you know, they accessed the nonprofit that's connected with TEP or a number of organizations that that nonprofit might work for or work with. So for me, it really raised awareness that we need to be able to provide somehow better cyber education and tools and resources for our small businesses and our nonprofit partners because they can expose our bigger companies and our governments to cyber vulnerabilities just if they are not patched up and taken care of. So that's a very nerdy, Nikki specific answer that other folks might not say, but it's a very real concern um, and it translates into very real cost impacts to businesses. Um, so those are just a couple of things that are really top of mind that, that I feel you all are probably feeling the most. I hope I answered the full question. What do you think about Vail incorporating being that Ward 4 is adjacent to Vail and are there still services that Ward 4 needs that are unique compared to other parts of the city? So I I worked closely and I have been working closely with the folks who are on the board of Incorporate Vail exclamation point, I believe it is now, um, to work on the map, right? Because we needed to have a map per state statute. We had to have a map that we agreed upon because we're in close proximity to the borders of the potential new town of Vail. And so, you know, I'm, I was grateful to be able to work with them and help negotiate maps that um, will go in front of the voters in November if they get enough signatures and definitely look forward to being good partners and good, you know, have a good relationship with the town of Vail if it does become that way. Um, I, I do feel like there's gonna be a lot of services and costs associated with service delivery to the town of Vail. And I think it would also be a great way for them to get some of the state shared revenue back into the region by being incorporated. So I have maintained neutrality because I feel like it's a very divided issue and I didn't wanna weigh in officially and impact, you know, in any way how folks want to to go about their own destiny as a town. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens if they get enough signatures and they get on the ballot. I think anytime they can have amenities is going to be good and parks and, and resources for themselves as a town. So I will definitely look forward to that. Um, and Mike Guyman, what was your second part of the question? Uh, the, some of the services that we feel uh, are still needed. Oh, yes. To oh my goodness, Where do we, how much time do we have? No, <laughs> um, no th there's a lot of things we've been talking about lately, like transit, and folks in Ward 4 don't have a lot of access to efficient transit routes. If I wanted to take a bus from my house to City Hall for a council meeting, it would take about an hour and 20 minutes each direction, and someone would have to drop me off at the closest bus stop to my house, house which is like two miles away. So it's not efficient. and 
I, I would love for us to have a more efficient transit system that we can all jump on and efficiently get across town. But in areas of Ward 4 and in areas of Ward 5, it's not, it's not there. And so I think there's a lot of work to do. Um, and that bus stop that's closest to my house is literally a sign in the ground that says, this is your bus stop. There's no shade, there's no place to sit, and it gets a little toasty in the sun. So, um, so that's an area where we really do need investment if we wanna have a robust, efficient transit system. Obviously road infrastructure, we're the growth ward, as Priscilla knows, we've talked about often. We, you know, it's not a matter of, if you build it, they will come. They're they're already here. And if you're on Valencia and cold headed back before the road widens up again, you're sitting forever in traffic. The, the homes are already there, the businesses are already there, and we need the infrastructure to support um, who is here now and what our future looks like as a city. So those are just a couple areas in particular. Um, with respect to response times, we're working on, we should be cutting or breaking ground on a Southeast Annex very soon, which I'm really excited about because that will give our officers a place to kind of home base out of and hopefully decrease response times because they're more located deeper into the ward versus golf links where they're at right now at the Eric Hyatt substation. So really just thinking about how we can deliver the services more efficiently that we do deliver make things run smoother and just have a better experience for folks is, is really all around. We are getting a brand new park, Robert Price Park, which I'm super excited about because we are significantly underparked in Ward 4. And um, yeah, lots of opportunity to, to do better. When looking at the City Council, it seems so diverse in many ways. However, the number of unanimous votes is surprising. Do you have any thoughts on this? Well. I think part of it does come down to the fact that we're all of the same political affiliation. So from a value standpoint, we're pretty aligned at the values level. I will tell you that my process is, is built on good relationships. So I worked really hard to create good relationships with my colleagues. So if I have, if I see something coming up on a meeting, um, I typically will, you know, if I have concerns, I will talk to, to the mayor in advance and be very vocal about my concerns and try to shape things before we get to the table necessarily and do some of my work that way. Um, and so that's my particular approach is, is really those relationships in, in negotiating and solutioning things prior to getting to the table and, and looking like we don't have our stuff together sometimes. So that's my approach. That's all I can speak to. Um, I definitely do voice concerns to the right folks to make sure we're we're putting things in, in front of um, Tucsonans that do represent, although there, there's definitely differences across town, like you said, you know, in other areas of town, things matter that don't necessarily matter as much in Ward 4 and vice versa. So, yeah. If the fairy godmother of city government came and gave you the power to remove the one obstacle that will improve economic development in the city, what issue would you address? That's a great question. I will I will go back to what I continue to tell myself. Um, my It's not even a big rock, it's a boulder. And it's definitely out of my control. I can only do what I can to help make this happen. But from everything that I've experienced and seen, a dedicated funding source for public safety is my bucket list item. Trying to do everything I can to get that across the finish line, because what we know is that the, the requirements of TPD and fire and 911 communications far outweigh the budget that we have. Every year we fund to the level that 
you know, provides vacancies and, and staffing levels, but we can never tell our police chief, yeah, we've given you every possible thing you've asked for. Uh, and there are real needs, real, they're, they're not nice to have, so they're real needs. And year after year, we've been able to take care of staffing and put band-aids on, but in order to properly address public safety for a city of our size that's continuing to grow, we need additional funding specifically to make sure that those guys and gals have what they need to be successful. And I feel like that trickles into economic development, that trickles into everything that we do when we have a safe and thriving and well-funded public safety department. Do you have the magic wand? I wish I did. Okay. I wish I did. If you find it, please. Given that Tucson Police Department has the money to hire 100 officers today, the issue comes down to recruitment into the academy. What are your thoughts on getting more people interested in these positions? That's a very, very real challenge, very real concern across the nation when it comes to public safety jobs. The Army hasn't hit their recruitment numbers uh, on and off throughout the years. So getting people who I will say are fit to fight, right, for the military who have the right weight and, and ability to come into these professions has been challenging over time. I don't think standard American diet has been too good for, for some of our youngsters. So having people who are even qualified to come into the profession from a physical standpoint has been a challenge. Uh, from talking to the police chief specifically, I think there's a lot we can do in terms of stopping the bleeding on the, the retirement piece. We have people who have great numbers of years of experience who are just looking at, do I want to continue to do this if the culture is not right, if we don't have the right leadership? I think we can we can stop gap a little bit of that by doing what we've been trying to do and have a good police chief and, and let our folks know through raises and support that that we do care about their work and we do value everything that they do for our community. Um, and then, you know, getting in as early as possible from a workforce development standpoint. I know I have two kids in high school and, you know, the job fairs and stuff, people are there early. The military is there like their freshman year and us being there talking about these um, professions and modeling diversity in those professions. I, I was the only woman in so many places in my military career, and it's not like that nearly to the same extent anymore. And I see we have a lot of women in public safety roles, really modeling how um, police officers can look and, and opening up the possibility to more folks joining the police force. And I think we have to continue to do that um, and treat our cops and our firefighters and our communications workers very well, take care of them. And word does travel. I know we've had, I think, 14 people come back to our 911 communications center um, from the time that I came in and we had a director that was toxic for lack of a better word and we had our police chief come in to stabilize and then Sharon McDonough as our new director we've had 14 people come back that had left so mm -hmm. we've able to we've been able to get some police officers from other agencies come back home too so I think it's just a multifaceted approach but it's it's a big challenge nationally but we're we're tracking and doing our best to make sure um, also another thing we're doing right now is is the police chief has been looking at how do we bring civilians in to do certain desk jobs that we have our officers doing right now so that we can help supplement them with non-commissioned officers and enable our officers to do what they need to do and they help support uh, personnel to do other things that don't require a badge and a gun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for serving and loving our community and uh, we appreciate your coming in today and uh, for your very detailed response of the survey.
Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you all for doing this. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.